Superposition podcast. In this episode, we had the opportunity to meet with Dr. Vakosi Madhavati. Vakosi is from Twane and completed his honours and masters at Witts University in Johannesburg. He then went on to complete his PhD in reinforcement learning at Rutgers University in New Jersey. After returning to South Africa, he was working as the senior data scientist in the Modeling and Digital Sciences Department of the Council for Scientific Industry Research, and now he holds the ABSA Chair of Data Science at the University of Pretoria, where he is also a senior lecturer. He is one of the co-organizers of the Data Science for Impact and Decision Enablement student program at the CSIR and the Deep Learning in Daba. We hope that you enjoy. So welcome, Dr. Vagosi Maravati, to the Superposition podcast. Thank you so much for making time out of your schedule to sit with us and have a chat. Please just let our listeners know, where in the world are you at the moment? At this current moment, uh, I'm in Cape Town, I'm spending some parts of today at the University of Cape Town, uh, giving a talk on data science at the Computational Social Science Workshop here. And what will you be presenting at the workshop today? So one of the... The things that's come up over the last few years has been working as, as a data scientist is just some of the social aspects uh, that I think data science actually requires in order to be able to reach its goals. So uh, meaning that this, uh, we always try to measure phenomena um, in one way or another or try to recover measurements of phenomena by looking at data. But then there might be methods that come from uh, like social science research that can assist us in better actually understanding. Like, yes, it's a simple example is doing like social network analysis. I don't think it's enough to just say, hey, I'm saying, like as a computer scientist or an engineer, I understand exactly what's going on. There might be other things that we might not be able to pick up uh, that are there. Can you tell us a little bit more about your scientific journey and how you've ultimately ended up in data science? Um, my scientific journey, I guess, is the quintessential engineering um, scientist journey. Uh, grew up with a big interest in how, how things work. Uh, as my parents tell it, taking apart things in the house and then trying to understand how <laughs> they, they, they like, you know, how things made noise and all those things. Um, but uh, in high school, I started getting really interested in, in data and specifically also how to get machines to think. I think that's a... In high school? Yeah. So that was like way before the buzz... Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it, it's, it's not, yeah, this is before then. I think in, in school, did some science projects where I would do surveys and then from the surveys, calculate statistics and then go like, oh, you can actually try and capture some phenomena by just collecting data and then understanding now, oh, machines also can think and how then do you combine the data with the machine and then get something interesting. Um, and then through that, um, I then I found, like, I think I remember reading the brochure for electrical engineering at, at, at Vets University and then the last page it said there's a specialization that you can do by your fourth year in AI and I was like oh I, that's where I'm gonna go. Um, that was the long-term thing of saying I want to go into, into machine learning AI hopefully use it for something. Um, yeah and then by the time I'm in my third year working on data um, working and starting to work on some machine learning and then really got really uh, deep into it and then uh, met my first advisor uh, Prof, uh, Prof. Chilizima Rala, and then did a project with him for my final year of my undergrad, and then, yeah, 
he then took me on as a master's student uh, to, con to start working now in reinforcement learning. Went on to do my PhD in New Jersey at Rutgers University and uh, Michael Littman, um, who's like, you know, one of the greats in reinforcement learning. I enjoy reinforcement learning um, and all its little corners, but the thing I'm re I really enjoy is how do we connect it to real-world situations, I suppose, because there was this sometimes, I think, uh, misunderstanding that reinforcement learning is about people simulating games. And, uh, and it's all about simulations, and it's not. And there was just a need, uh, in some ways, to find ways to uh, improve the practicality of using reinforcement learning for people who are non-super experts. Okay, please can you give us a simple description of reinforcement learning? Okay, so uh, one is that you can think about it as you have a, a machine, and this machine gets dropped off <clears throat> in, in a world and this world has specific rules so the simple ones that it can move around there so let's say what you wanted to do is that make sure that uh, when somebody comes into a room it always makes sure that it closes the door after that person has come in right so there you're not going to actually go and write the code so that it does that you're just going to give it some reward in some way every time it actually goes and closes the door if a person has come in so with enough examples where it's doing this and if it doesn't do the, the thing that you want it to do you don't give it any reward so some people might ask how do you how do you codify a reward to a machine? So there it just simply ones and zeros. And what it then tries to do is optimize to getting more ones than getting zeros, uh, for example. Then if you do that, what you expect is that it will actually then exactly, like, you know, get to a point where it learns this reward. In particular in South Africa, what do you think are the most exciting problems we can solve through the lens of data? I think one is dispelling the myths we always perpetuate about South African society. Um, I think it, it's, 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 yes, it's, dan you it's dangerous to lie with statistics, but, <clears throat> but at the same time, there's, a, there's an opportunity there to be able to understand our societies better. Uh, given the history of the country, um, the big challenge that we have is that our data, especially going back more than 40, 50 years, the spaces of the country that are just not really recorded. So... Uh, over the last uh, couple of decades now we've started recording this and we're getting better at it and with the rise of the internet and people connecting um, uh, through, uh, through social media uh, all this other data has actually been captured even if it's not like you know intentional right uh, through that I think we can now record our stories as, as, as South Africans, as Africans. And then from there, I think there's a lot of opportunities for research to understand more of our society uh, beyond the headlines, beyond the stereotypes, um, and then be able to assist in better decision-making, which I think is what we want to get to. Can you give us an example on a project that you've worked on directly related to decision-making? Um, yeah, there's lots of interesting data sets that have been released over the years in, in South Africa and these also provide this opportunity of doing analysis and trying to see if you can actually find something that, that's useful to somebody else. So uh, one student project we had in the past was trying to look at protest data. So through the protest data uh, which was uh, released a couple of uh, years back, uh, what you want to identify is um, in the localization like, you know, of saying that a protest happens here, does it increase the chances of your neighbor then, like, you know, neighboring town also having a protest? Um, 
And as such, you can then use a, couple, a number of methods to analyze that and look at that over time. But one of the interesting confounding factors is that in South Africa, there was a, like a protest almost every, every day. And uh, uh, at the same time, I think we couldn't get uh, to, uh, what is it? We didn't have enough information ab ab about enough of the kind of uh, violent protests. So yes, the chances that a protest, if it's going on today, it'll continue going on tomorrow, were very high. Um, but then now, what you want to, if you discover that there's these correlations, especially uh, between neighbors, then what you want to do ideally, if in terms of a decision-making example, is then be able to say, oh, a protest happened to my neighbor. What should the community leaders in this community be doing over the next few days so that they can then like, you know, reduce the chances of, 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 a, of a protest happening here. Now, this is not voting people's free will. It's just offering another path, right? We have this thing of saying service delivery protests happen in South Africa and they're very violent and there's a loss of infrastructure and all those things. So if you give a choice and say, let's see at what other interventions we can have. If we understand that there's a spatial correlation, how then do community leaders then engage with the with the community so that they can actually then reduce the chances of that happening and maybe opening up a much better dialogue. It is, I think it's it's very hard once the police or law enforcement is there because it, it like, you know, it increases the antagonistic nature of, of the interactions. It's no longer really about the service itself. Uh, it now just becomes power, like, you know, versus people who might feel that they're powerless. Um, and so that's one of the things that you kind of you, you, you try to do, I think, as a data scientist is to understand that. And it would be that, like, you know, the ideal space would be then you're working with people in that space and then being able to see their interventions, so what they try, and then being able to measure the impact that it has, given your past data, of saying now they, this is the intervention they introduced, so it almost now becomes an experiment. You now measure again and say, okay, with this intervention, this is actually what happened in this part of the country, which is different from what we used to be able to see. So you're really working at the intersection of data science, machine learning, and policy. Can you highlight some of the challenges that you face when you step out of your scientific space and when you enter into the political space? One is demystifying what we do. Right. Um, so, if, sure, I'm, I'm talking data science, but a lot of the time either we're using statistics or using machine learning and there's a lot of misunderstanding of what's possible so it's not that all times you need the most complicated model to be the one that you you use uh, to 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 solve a problem sometimes it's the most simplest and why is that if you if it's explainable to a policymaker they can also make a more informed decision you don't want them to, to be making decisions on black boxes because when those black boxes reach their limits, they wouldn't know why things don't work in the way that they're supposed to. Um, that is on. The other thing about working in the policy space is getting to understand it. And it's a very hard kind of thing. I think sometimes we, it's like, you know, it's nice to live in a very controlled environment. You've got the data, you've got a problem, and then you work within this. But then to make the real impact, you need to work in this space where it's, it's a mix. So now let's think about working in, with policymakers is you need to build up trust. Uh, that you're, you're, you're there uh, uh, to mostly partner and work together. You're not just providing a service either because um, from the real trust means that you can critically engage with the assumptions that you might have or they might have. 
Without that, then it just becomes this chasm where people sit on, on, on one side of a river and they just send each other messages, maybe it's reports. <laughs> and then from those reports, you're trying to make it. So you need really want to part, partner with people. And then trying to move forward with that trust is then to say, okay, um, given what we are seeing, what are the possible interventions? And sometimes if we're not true to ourselves or honest, um, the things that always keep on coming up are the things that are the easiest to say, but not really the real core things we should actually be engaging with. And you need that trust to now be able to do that. So if, if you're looking at the planning of a city, the spatial, let's say spatial planning, you're looking at why stop signs are fixed in the way that they are when they get knocked down, why traffic lights are you most likely will find that there was 10 decisions made 10 years ago that then have an impact on why things happen in the way that they happen now. But if you just came in and read the data, you would just say, oh, there's just an effective policy here. I don't know, like, you know, it, it, it makes no sense. But when you start understanding the backstory of how things came to be in the way that they're supposed to, again, you can make better inputs in, in, in that perspective. And without that, like, I think without that clear understanding that the story is not just the thing that you see in front of you, the effect or like, you know, that you will likely have with policymakers will likely be very shallow. And at the same time, if they also don't understand what you do and how you, you do things, they also don't have a language to be able to communicate with you and get, like, you know, and get much more relevant kind of feedback. Actually, there was a conversation that Adrian and I were having recently, and I'd like to ask you, what do you think about having more scientists in policy-making positions? Many reasons is good. <laughs> uh, uh, one, which is very simple, uh, I did a, uh, some work on this when I was doing my PhD, uh, just looking at education, is that um, without the scientists, without academics, um, we stand the chance that uh, funding, given like, you know, our tight economic times, for work in those areas will be cut. Right, so if there's no engagement, right, of, of thing, it just funding gets harder and harder to get, and this actually also reduces scientific output. So this is very important. Why scientists have to be there? Um, also, scientists have to be there because we're getting into this world now where data is everywhere, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence is everywhere, and all these systems are actually now becoming automated, right? And they're making decisions in lots of different ways. Government is going out there and trying to engage with these these spaces, and there's a high likelihood that they might just end up buying black boxes, right? So you might then think like, why is this a bad thing, right? Um, so now, if you're making decisions on budgeting in a city, and then you end up putting it into a black box, and then the black box just spits out and says, this is where you must put your budget. This is going to affect you, right? Um, we've had, uh, like, you know, you can think about. Maybe finance in South Africa is not so bad because they have to explain their decisions. But let's think about South Africa's history. And then if you were to use uh, data on lending to train systems today to choose who to actually lend money to. Given our history, that would mean a lot of discrimination, right? If you were just using it as a black box. Because the machine does not, is not going to remove bias. It will just encode the bias that's already in the data. So government has to understand this and be able to make better decisions in actually then saying, okay, how are we going to guard against these things? So they will need scientific input for that. How do we measure the, the, like, you know, the efficacy of, of these systems and how they actually do their work? And then how, um, how do we protect our citizens? All those things require scientific input. 
it's not simply a political game. Given your involvement in data science and machine learning in South Africa and Africa, what is the landscape looking like at the moment in terms of government and private investment? There's a, a large explosion that's going on now across the continent. So um, over the, the last uh, few years, what, what has happened is that there's been more and more of a focus on how do we keep um, people on the African continent to be able to work in this area and then also share their stories because we know that there's people doing very interesting things and in solving lots of very different social and society's problems but they might not be seen on the world stage so it looks like there's nothing that's actually going on so um, through a lot of work in advocacy through a lot of work in, in education there's been a number of networks that have uh, um, sprung up across the continent, whether it's in West Africa, East Africa. Uh, for us here in, in South Africa, but really aiming for the African continent, uh, last year we started the Deep Learning in Daba, which was uh, start, started by a couple of uh, like you know friends and acquaintances who then wanted to uh, strengthen African machine learning. So last year we had 330 people take part in a six-day workshops on machine learning all the way from kind of beginner and two advanced courses within within that space. Uh, for us initially we I think we had planned only for people 50 people to be able to attend but then the demand was so great that we had to take it up to about 300 and something. Uh, this year we're having the second one and it's already shaping up to be that we're going to have to have about 550 people at the Sindaba. Um, and this was just like you know the beginning of uh, of this machine learning journey in teaching, getting students to come and share their research, uh, getting students to also interact with some of the best people in the area, on the continent and across the world. And we saw that like, you know, there was a, a very large appetite for these things. Um, and then like, so the first and second one were in South Africa. Next year, we already plan it's going to Kenya. And then we'll see where it goes after that and we'll probably keep on growing. You have, uh, uh, sorry. Um, Data Science Africa, which is another community that started in kind of in the East East Africa, and we connected with that last year. Uh, I went there, presented on some of the work we were doing, and then also advocated for having this much more bigger African network. And we had people from Data Science Africa come and attend the deep learning in Daba. And even this year, I think we have more people uh, doing that, and then continue, uh, continuing. Um, these connections and through all of these now it's uh, okay fine we, we're doing the training we know the training is going on we're strengthening and then people are sharing their stories now comes on saying okay how now do we shape policy right the policy is on things like the data how, how do we get access to data what are the different policies in every country about data sharing and access um, how, how are we going to inform government and about what's, what's going on it, it is just not enough to just say okay uh, our, our politicians our government officials go somewhere else they get input of saying hey machine learning is important and then they come back and just try to say okay we need to be doing machine learning without an understanding of actually what's actually going on in, uh, on the ground so we're also now working to provide these examples and showing these networks and saying no people are already working on the ground we just need policies that like you know make it much more clearer about where the limits are or what you can and cannot do and how to well like you know what's the best practice across there so i think there's a lot um yeah most recently there's been also very large companies making uh, announcements over the last few weeks about setting up their uh, ai machine learning research offices on the continent and that's for us like you know 
very important uh, because it tends to be that a lot of these big multinationals uh, set up business offices on the African continent where now, yes, it's about almost like harvesting the data from the African continent and then using it to sell product. But in this one now, we're hoping that it means that they're going to be use, uh, using the local talent to now go and build up products that are much more relevant and much more speak to the challenges that people face on the continent. What do you think it will take for Africa to be leaders in this space? I think it comes down to here what the definition of leadership is. So on one part, if, if at the end of the day we have a number of people who are doing good work and they end up impacting the lives of Africans and as a whole the continent starts like, you know, doing better in a lot of other measures, I think we've met the goal in that space. And I don't think it's just machine learning because we should stay away from this silver bullet kind of uh, mentality because yes, there is this, oh, it's big data, this data, it's going to be the thing that uh, kind of uh, uh, like, you know, <laughs> saves all of us. Um, it's, it's not, there's multiple things that have to come together. The thing is to keep chipping away and machine learning and data science can be one of those um, areas that we can actually keep chipping away on, on, on these things. So, uh, yes, we need to um, be invested in the education and building up the skill sets. And over time, more and more higher order skills will come out of these, uh, of the, of these things. Um, it shouldn't be simply that we're used as a data market. Uh, it should be that we're creating things. And as we create those things, they might be relevant even to the global south. Right. So how do we ensure that this happens when there are so many lucrative opportunities for great African scientists overseas? Um, okay, yeah, I think there's always going to be opportunities to move. <laughs> the, the opportunities are very attractive, uh, but there's also people who are invested in, in growing their local communities. Um, and as, yes, at the beginning, it will look like there's a lot of shift of people just moving. Uh, but over time, both the people who stay and the people who go, I think, have um, initiatives that they then work on to, to keep on giving back. I think if you look at the deep learning in Daba, it had both people who are based on the continent and people who are based in, in, in Europe and in, in North America. But they were all working together to get this to go, right? And that's a collaboration. Right, it's not going and um, what is it? Judging either for, for taking taking the choices that they took, but they all have a role to play in kind of in, in, in that space. One might be access to resources; the other might be access to more local relevancy. All right, because we the the big complaint that normally comes in is that oh, you get people coming in from Europe and then assigning what the problem is without really understanding what's going on, and that's where you need the local experts. And I also believe that they, the, the local experts are playing at the world stage, right? Don't, we shouldn't look down on that and say, well, you're working on problems that, yes, might not be relevant to Europe, but is that a bad thing? No, right? It just might be that the problem that you're looking at is relevant for the area that you're in and you then become the world leader in that space. And as I said, it doesn't, then it might mean that a technique or an approach that you took might not this year, but in a few years be used for something else somewhere else in the world. We just don't know. So to, yeah, um, to prescribe on that right now, I think is very short-sighted. Yeah. Something that our listeners might not know about is your passion for having a positive impact for the people on the ground. How do you handle this task of changing the world? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, the ambition is always to change the world. Um, but maybe by saying change the world, it's change the world around us. Um, there's a tendency to come in and yes, we, we, it's, it's easy to come out and point out problems. And say, so here's all the problems and all these problems are stopping me from doing A, B and C, X, Y and Z. Um, but at the same time, there's work to be done as an individual to change that situation. Uh, so that there's, there could be individual change, the change that you, you start as an individual and then over time uh, get other people to join you. And then, like, you know, through again chipping away at it, it becomes an institutional change or the world changes because uh, you've done that. So um, it, it always takes me back to government just because of, of being in that area where people might point out and say government's slow government doesn't understand but some of the most interesting people I've met over the last few years in terms of uh, prominent spaces and scientific spaces have been in the public service right where once you sit with them and you discuss okay uh, let's think about water and sanitation and you spend three hours going and trying to break down the problem and seeing and just saying okay here's an idea that I have because right? that's the easy thing like, oh yeah yeah why don't you do this and all those things you kind of gain in, in this appreciation of this complexity you're like so how do you wake up in the morning and go do your job if this is the thing it's like oh no there's like things you will figure out and there's things that you will be able to do some other things might not this might not be the right time so we'll wait and give it three more years and then we'll try it again and try some other solution uh, to to doing that, so yeah, I've, I think I see a lot of people trying to change, to change the world. It's hard, and sometimes I think it's a thankless job. Um, uh, if if you look at it that way, because it might not take, um, it might not give these accolades that people expect inside society. But our society is not going to move forward without some of these people doing that. So even in the space of being a data scientist, being an engineer, being a scientist is that if, if you look at your work in the sphere of how society can benefit, uh, whether locally, internationally, like, you know, Pan-African, Pan let's say, even there, um, and let that also drive why you do that work, you'll most likely find that you start connecting with that community a bit more because you can then show the local relevancy and there can also be appreciation of why it has to happen. Right? And from there, then again, it, it, I think it supercharges the next be, the the next phase because now when you need to go move and do do something else with those communities, they'll then be much more trusting of saying, okay, we understand it, we we get where this came from, and now uh, moving into the next one, it's almost like almost in consultation, and we we will then back. Let me take this opportunity to say thank you on behalf of all of us that have received opportunity from the work that you do, and I'm sure it's not easy. What do you do when you're disillusioned with your why? I think we've had these conversations sometime in the office of saying, um, when the going really gets tough in some of these, uh, these things, so like, you know, there's a scientific problem and that we're gonna always work at and try to do with the resources that you have and the time that you have. Uh, it, that's a very, it's a very different problem to then looking at social issues. Because with the social issues, it's like, okay, we just need more bodies. Right? But then the bodies are going to get spent. And when the body gets spent, maybe that's one of the reasons where people then might leave an area, might even leave the continent and say, I'm going to move somewhere else because I've, I've done my time uh, on there. 
Um, and yeah, so you look for allies, you look for champions that work with you, and then when you get to that feeling of like, you know, it's really tough, sometimes you check in and then say, okay, what do we do? And I've seen people then come in and say, look, I will assist. Like, you know, I will send a body. <laughs> or I'll back you up. Yeah, you know, and um, it's a privilege to have that network um, in, in, in some ways um, because it, yeah, in some of the darkest times, at least you have somebody to call. And you should know that there's always uh, people, uh, people to call and people to reach out to. And I think, yeah, uh, we keep building that network. Um, and yeah, I hope people understand that and they also reach out when they, when they because yeah, it, 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 can't de- it can't be individuals in this case at all the times. Like yes, you will take your individual change, but find your people and from these people look out if they also might be struggling with some things and also do lend a hand when, uh, when you can. Because yeah, I've had those, yeah, we all do have those days and you go like, ah, oh, and then you just have you send an email or you call somebody you talk and then after that you've got a path and then from that path you try it and then yeah you just say okay let's let's yeah let's do it and sometimes it might just be of also identifying and saying maybe not now so this one let let go for it let let go of it for now and then we'll revisit it later what advice do you have for a recent graduate in data science and machine learning keep learning always be learning it is a, and um, yes, you're, you're going to have these feelings of, I don't know enough, I shouldn't know, but um, keep, keep going. Nobody knows what they're doing uh, in, in, in the space. It's, um, it's fast evolving. Um, I think one of the things I like about data science and people should look at is, is ultimately you want to come up with something that other people can use. I think if, if, if you're not really doing that, it's hard to say, like, you know, are you doing, doing data science in that space? So for me, deployment is like this thing. That, that's hard or it's the model and you're communicating what this model is trying to do and then that gives insights. There must be something that you at least uh, give away at the end of this thing and people can then um, kind of uh, take. And yeah, the public service is not a bad space to be in. It's a place that normally people shy away from or like, you know, people don't want to work. Um, I found champions. I found people who are willing to listen, are willing to, to talk and they are willing also to share insights given uh, the view, and there's yeah, it's it's it's, it's if, even if it's I think one time I was at the I was at the dentist and I was trying to think about some challenge that had to do with the police, and then a metro policeman walked in and sat next to me, and we just had a conversation for almost thirty minutes, and just from that conversation I got so much insight in their how they work, and again connecting back to ah this is why the data would look like this. Right, so there is no, oh, I need to be looking for people of authority as the people who are actually going to give me some of these other insights um, on there. So, yeah, keep learning. Um, uh, the world around you is, is your big laboratory. Like, use that. And, yeah, uh, share your stories and then also let others be able to also give you their stories as a way to keep on crafting. Always be learning. We're going to keep that one with us. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current research interests? Over the last few years, I've been interested more and more into unstructured text. It's not really just text, I guess, uh, text an- analysis. And this has been maybe more coming from understanding that 
a lot of history is written history and without it then our stories get lost so why work on text problems in machine learning um, is that they can codify uh, who we are so um, one of the interesting things in that space has been looking at social media data and trying to build models on top of that and then doing analysis uh, given social media data one being is that it can give us a nice summary of how like you know uh, parts of our society um, uh, uh, might be functioning and then from there being able to build tools that then can respond to that so whether it's building in, in intellig intelligent interfaces that can identify um, like you know things that have to do with public safety on, in, in South Africa uh, the reason being is that now you might have a view that you can that can augment of saying that oh there was an incident that happened on the highway and then from there but we actually it seems that there were multiple people who saw it and they could give us more information of actually what was going on uh, within there but then in trying to solve that you actually then have to deal with how do South Africans actually speak online or how do they write online? So you're now codifying this thing and then it builds these large data sets that have Africans conversing, right? And as, as, as opposed to just, yeah, and then like, you, know, you hope that they, they get better and better. I have a, I've been working with a, st a student who just started um, and, uh, who is trying to look at uh, communicable uh, diseases, so looking at flu, but then trying to use social media and other text, um, like you know, text sources, to be able to identify how you could actually uh, likely predict, given some some of this online data, how flu the flu season is going to go, right? And that's 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 an interesting space. And, and uh, other ones might be for security reasons, right? Where you're trying to identify bad actors online, and from from those you increase the the, the safety of South Africans in, in that space. Okay, we know that was a lot to take in and really a lot to process and to understand, especially if you are one of those young, ambition, ambitious African data scientists. There's a lot happening right now. And as Vikorsi said, it's our role to always be learning. Thank you so much for checking in for this podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. We're going to drop some links in the bio, um, in the SoundCloud bio, telling you a little bit more about where you can find out about Rikosi's work, where you can find out about some of the resources that he shared with us, such as the deep learning in Daba. And yeah, stay connected. Thank you for listening.